Hello everyone, this is Tim Dodd. Welcome to the Believer's Faith Challenge podcast. Faithful to give witness to tens of thousands, yes, and to the millions that believe it. And believes in I believe that God's gloriously lived a packet until all around the world it's been circulated. Welcome to the Believer's Faith Challenge podcast. We're here for part two of the Q&A on missions. We so enjoyed part one for the team. I know that a lot of those questions were super, super interesting. And some of them, you didn't have the time to even go back and prepare for them. But you gave us some very interesting answers. And we're back here for part two. So without any further ado, is it okay if I jump into the next question? Sure, Brother John. Let, let's jump right in so that we'll save a little bit of time with the intro here. All right. So here's the next question. Are there still countries where the end time message has not been preached yet? If yes... What is being done or can be done to ensure those areas are reached? Well, we need a volunteer to go preach the message in North Korea. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I can't say there are some countries that are very reclusive and closed. But I cannot say based on our tracking of the message hub that there are really any places the message has not gone to. Are you saying that we have people in North Korea that are downloading messages? No, or the message that's app? one of the countries. That's that one of the countries you, that okay. they don't have internet access. Ah. I cannot say the message has not gone in there. Right. I can say it hasn't gone in there online. Okay. See whether somebody has uh, has you know uh, taken it into the country, smuggled it into the country as they did in the old days. You know different things. I don't know. Only God knows that. I believe that the Lord is more than able to to take it into these countries. North Korea is probably the most reclusive one mm-hmm. that I know of. Um, a lot of the other countries around the world, when we did the 50th anniversary meetings here in the church, we did some research on it, and there really isn't any place the message hasn't gone. Anything else, um, any other country outside of North Korea? No, no, not really. There's a couple of very small countries. I don't know. I don't remember the names of them where it was questionable whether they even had internet, Mm. but they weren't closed off like North Korea. Okay. North Korea. We'll make sure that those are, if you have a burden for a place, maybe the last one is in North Korea. (laughs) Well, you know, that's, you would never send somebody to North Korea. They would have to be a sovereign uh, hand of God that would take somebody into a place like that. Or we've seen God tear their kingdoms, change yeah. politics, change economies, just to reach that one sea like he did in mm-hmm. Jericho for Rahab. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Another question is about, um, I don't know if this is Uganda in general or just a mission missions question in general, but this is interesting. It has to do with experience and perspective about people who experience other cultures. So it says, Missions work changes a person's perspective about how people live in other cultures and what kind of hardships they must deal with. Some would encourage the young people to go with the missionary into the foreign field just to have that experience. However, in a practical way, does or will this impede the missionary and make his work more difficult in the long run? (laughs) I was just talking to Brother Tom today. and One of the phrases I used, we talked a little bit about not this particular subject, but just the idea 
of taking brothers overseas and taking, um, introducing the mission field to people is that I don't believe in mission, in message tourism. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's um, a good way to put it. It's not to go overseas to just ha- gain some exposure to a culture or that sort of thing. That is definitely impactful. Where possible, I have taken uh, young men into these countries. We, uh, The school here organized a trip in 2013, not out long after I moved here, and I went with them to Uganda, and that was kind of the beginning of the work there. But uh, I would say it's not logistically possible to take every young person overseas. And, I, and so rather than say you need to go with a missionary overseas, I, w- I would say if you ever had the opportunity that a door opened for you to travel into a, an impoverished country where the message is being spread, preached, uh, I would say take advantage of it if, if the opportunity arises. It's an opportunity you don't want to miss because they don't come along very often. Okay. And the second part of the question is, would this impede the missionary and make his work more difficult? It would. if it, 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 To me, it would. Okay. Um, the work of the missionary is to spread the gospel, preach the gospel, and leave the people uh, with enough help that will carry them forward, maybe give them a stepping stone in their lives and ministry. And so... Let me, if I could rephrase it and say, I would say it would distract. I wouldn't say it would impede. Okay. And it would distract from the purpose. And one of the distractions would be, and this is something that I always, is always on my heart when I travel. The cost of a trip is getting very expensive. True. And so to go overseas, there has to be some benefit more that exceeds the cost of the trip. Mm-hmm. If if there isn't a purpose in it, why are you spending thousands and thousands of dollars just to go somewhere? Yeah, yeah I don't, I don't personally, personally, I don't love traveling, but <laughs> uh, you know, it has to be something that's a real, real purpose in it. Here's another question: You want introducing the message in a new country to a group of ministers or leaders of churches? What books other than the Bible? are required or needful immediately? I think this is a very good question. Yeah. And they said specifically ministers? Yes. Or leaders, okay. We found that the the best book for religious people that are leaders is the church age book. Okay. And so that's why we try and major in translating that as soon as possible mm-hmm. when we're doing translation. Just because it's, it's a grammarized book, it contains pretty much all the major doctrines that have been revealed in the light of the message of the hour. Okay. And so somebody can go through that and read that and be impacted by it. It's full of truth. And so if somebody's a seed of God, there's more than enough in there to quicken them. Whereas if you're dealing with individuals, say, on the street or witnessing to somebody, you might use a more evangelistic type of message. You know, what would I do with this Jesus called Christ, right. you know, and, and messages like that. And that might uh, uh, introduce them. You might introduce them to Brother Brandon's ministry by, uh, you know, how the angel came to me 
and uh, present stage of my ministry and, and those types of messages where people would be more introduced to the prophetic side or the, pro- the prophet part of the message of the hour. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, not that we would separate, we don't separate the man and his message. You can't separate Brother Branham from the message. No. That's part and parcel. The, the prophetic gift is something that is irreplaceable. You cannot, this, is, this did not come out of a Bible school. This did not come out of the minds of men. This came out of prophetic utterance to the bride in this last day. And so to um, to establish it amongst leaders, though, I think the number one thing would be uh, the church age book for them to study. I mean, if you are if you are speaking to them, then you speak from the Bible. That's all they know. You have to go to the common denominator mm-hmm. and show the message in the light of the Scripture. And I think one thing I can add to that also is that additionally, if we have the church age book, we can extract those uh, tracks that we use for witnessing. So if a, if a new language has a translation of the church age book, we can also uh, give them a lot of supporting materials when it comes to, to witnessing. That's exactly right. There's 25 tracks that we, we can automatically um, pull out of the church age book when it's finished so that they can be published I just did a couple of languages last week. And so they, they have the finished church age book. Now they have the 25 tracks on subjects like the Godhead, mm-hmm. the messenger, the message to Laodicea, water baptism, all of those things, uh, individual tracks that are very succinct out of the church age book. All right. So we just say when, when a new minister comes into the message, if he has his Bible, obviously, and a church age book, that's a good starting foundation for him to get grounded and and in the message. And of course, in places like Uganda, we also have ministers' meetings mm-hmm. that are beneficial as well. And you have to move from the church age book into the seals. Mm-hmm. Like once it's established in their hearts that there is a message, there is a messenger, the message comes from the opening of the seals. And so... Uh, when I realized there was the messages before the seals too, but the 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 third pull, the opening of the word, comes from the opening of the seals, and quite frankly, the the anointing for this day comes from the opening of the seals, mm-hmm. and so you you cannot leave the seals out. They need to progress into the seals, and then once they're in the seals, then they have to realize. It's the messages that come after the seals, and I'm not one that set, that says the messages before the seals are not valid. They're all all of the messages that we have. I study them all. I read them all. But what came after the seals is the truths that were opened up in the seals, mm-hmm. and so that begin to unfold in many of the titles like Christ and Mister God Revealed, Token, Perfect Faith. Uh, anointed ones at the end time. You know, we could just go on and on and on that uh, revelations that just begin to pour out of the seals. Man, let, let me add my own question. Sure. <laughs> Follow up that question here. Uh, so in Uganda, for example, when we have ministers meetings, and I don't know if we know exactly how many new ministers have come in a message, but do we know that they all have at least a Bible and a church book? If not... What can we do and how can we ensure that every new minister that comes in the message in Uganda, at least at the very minimum, has a Bible and a church age book? Yes, we know they have Bibles and we know they have church age books. Okay. That's not an issue. Uh, the issue now is filling in the gaps with the individual messages. All right. 
and uh, um, Seal's book, for example. We I think we've only printed 10,000 exposi- uh, Revelation of the Seven Seals books. Um, I'm not sure. It might be 20,000. But we've printed so many books in Uganda, it's hard to... But we still... We've printed 35,000 Bibles, and we, we have given out about 30,000. We still have a stock of about 5,000 Bibles for Wonderful. the new believers coming in, and we trust that we will be able to continue to do that as the Lord provides the funds. Two more questions, actually three more questions, and then we can come to a close here. If you feel you're above the people you're going to, you can't help them. Can you comment on the approach, attitude, or humility that you will bring wherever you go? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. You know, the number one, when I go overseas and work with ministers, those are my brothers. I never look at them as being beneath me mm-hmm. or that I have more knowledge than they do, even though I may. Uh, just by virtue of experience, I look at them as real brothers in Christ, many of whom, if not most of them, have produced more for the kingdom of God than I will ever dream of. Mm. And so I, I, in some ways I look up to these brothers because they have opportunity on the mission field, what we call a mission field, to them it's a home field, they have an opportunity that we'll never see in North America. And they to minister to their people to win thousands of souls for Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I was talking to a brother in India one time. I won't mention his name, but he was telling me how much he had been invited over to North America to preach. And he asked me, should he go? And I knew this brother had been used of the Lord to plant a lot of churches and probably maybe win or be instrumental in winning 100,000 souls to Christ in the light of the message. So I, I said to him, I said, why? Why do you want to go to North America? It's dead. And I don't mean the churches are dead. I mean reaching out and the move of God yeah. has been stymied by the atmosphere and the culture that we live in. Mm-hmm. And so I said, what you're doing here is way more important in the kingdom of God than anything that's happening in North America. Sorry, North American brothers, but that's the reality, is in these countries that are poor and impoverished, we are not looking at men of God who are uh, in any way less than any North American or brothers from the Western world. In most ways, they are superior ministries to what we will ever see here in North America. And I have a huge respect for them. So that's number one. Working with ministers, um, you've got to see them for what they are. They they may not have the have had the opportunity to study the message as much as I do, but they're gifted men. Mm-hmm. They're real men of God. Number two is the people. You have to be able to look past their poverty. You have to be able to look at them and say, "This is one soul that you know." It might be a mother, might be a father might be a a teenager, whatever it might be, you know, they are just as important in the sight of God as any one soul in Cloverdale Bible Way or any other church. Uh, And they deserve the word of God preached to them as much as we do here. Mm -hmm. 
So that's kind of my outlook, if that answers the question. Yep, I think that answers the attitude and the approach. Uh, another question here, I think this is this is probably from your sister. So it's, it's is it difficult to navigate the element of modesty or decency with converted sisters? If so, how can this be helped? <laughs> yeah, let's say that um, Pentecostals don't exactly, most of Pentecostals don't exactly have a decency standard. <laughs> and uh, I'm surprised at the lack of awareness that some of these new sisters have in their former condition. Mm. Now, as Brother Branham said, when the Holy Ghost comes upon somebody, they change. Yeah. Their awareness to their modesty becomes very real. Mm -hmm. And he talked about in South Africa how that, you know, that the raw natives might only be, might not hardly have any clothes on. Mm -hmm. But they, when they come, when they're quickened by the presence of God, they cover themselves and yeah. walk out of the presence of men. Right. And so that's a reality that takes place. So uh, is it difficult to navigate? Not for me because I leave it to the local brothers. And, uh, <laughs> so, you know, we we help them, we preach to them, all those kind of things. I, I don't generally preach holiness overseas because I don't, I mean, I preach it in a general sense. We know that there is holiness, you know, without holiness, no man shall see God. But to preach individual uh, expected standards within the framework of the church, I don't do that because the local ministers know the local culture and, and you know, what they're dealing with and that sort of thing. Uh, however, I, I often will sit down with ministers and they'll ask questions. You know, what do you think about this and what do you think about that? You know, this is the way the sisters do their hair or this is the way that, uh, do you think this kind of clothing is wrong? India has those kinds of issues as far as clothing because sometimes uh, the the clothing of sisters almost in some areas are almost trouser like. Mm -hmm. And so, so there's, there are different cultures and I leave that up to the local ministry in the light of the word of God, that they um, establish their people in the present truth. Amen. Is there anything that we can do in terms of humanitarian aid when it comes to perhaps helping sisters with clothing? Yes, sometimes there is. And sometimes it's difficult. We have done projects like that, for example, in the Philippines. Okay. We've sent boxes of clothing over to help the sisters because in the poorer countries, the reason they're dressed poorly is because they're poor. Right. <laughs> and so uh, so to help the sisters to have a dress or a skirt and a blouse or whatever it might be, you know, that that has been a very valid project. However, in some countries like Uganda, we've tried to get clothes into Uganda We've tried uh, for brother, um, uh, we have a brother in our church, brother Richard Drake, who has helped a lot in those kind of works mm -hmm. as far as what we might call humanitarian, getting clothes overseas, and he's, and he's quite experienced at it. But when I commissioned him to get clothes into Uganda, he was defeated. <laughs> I hate to say it. They're the, the hoops that they have to jump through and the customs that they have to pay because used clothing is actually an industry in the country. Oh, okay. So you can't just ship used clothing in. That's a commodity over there. And so that was very difficult. And I think we were unable to successfully establish a channel through which these new believers could be 
attired with used clothing. Yeah. No, I, I was going to suggest, can can we send some funds there so they can purchase uh, your skills locally? But then I realized if we have funds to send, it's probably better to put it to use by printing books and sending translations over there. It is. It is. We don't have an overabundance of funds. You know, if there's there's always more need than there is funds. Amen. Well, this was the last question. Uh, there's another question here about the message hub in general. How many translations do we have on the message hub on av- in general? But I don't think you have the number handy. It's over 16,000. Over 16,000. Almost 17,000. Almost 17,000 translations. Okay. We don't have enough Korean there. <laughs> Is there? We have Korean. Korean. Yes. Do they speak the same? I guess it's... I think they would understand it. They would understand I, I would it. imagine over the years, North Korea dialect has maybe become a little bit different from yeah. South Korea. But uh, we have some brothers that were burdened for that. A brother in Washington, D.C. And uh, he's worked with some people and they have uh, uploaded, I think it's over now, 100 messages in the Korean language. So that certainly wow. is available there. I would have never guessed that. Over 100 mm-hmm. translations in Korean. Does that include the church book? I'll tell you in just a moment here as I pull it up here. Let me just uh, go to the message up. Korean. There it is there. 112 messages. Wow. And I will tell you right now. Yes, the Church Age book and the tracks are on there. That's wonderful. Wonderful. Amen. All right. Well, I don't know how many questions we answered, but we definitely answered all of them. So thank you, brothers and sisters, for sending out your questions. And I hope that you were blessed and edified and you learned something. And thank you for asking them because I I got to learn something as well. So, And those that are listening, without a doubt, also learned something. And and a special thanks to Brother Tim Duff for taking the time. And I didn't give him those questions in, in advance for him to prepare for all of them. So a lot of this was him thinking on his feet. Actually, he's sitting, so he's not standing. But thank you, Brother Tim, for taking the time to, to answer those questions. Do you have any closing comments? Well, these, this is a wonderful opportunity for us, Brother Jean, because you love to sit down and explain. To me, if you can explain, the not the process, but the burden and where the burden comes from and, and how the burden operates and, and how the vision works and those kind of things. It'll help people to, A, understand what's going on, but also, B, dispel any myths. Sometimes missions can be very glamorous. Mm-hmm. You know, people think, oh, you go in the mission field and you're the big missionary and all of those kind of things. But really, it's more a lot a lot of working in the trenches. It is. And working with local brothers and and trying to understand their needs and where they're coming from. I will say, to because I imagine most of our listeners are from the Western world, um, I will say that it's very hard to understand poverty with a message or a Western message mindset Mm. because we have so much abundance, we don't even understand how much we have. We spend money foolishly. We waste money. Money that could go to a great use in these countries overseas. You know, I, I think I have spoke to the young people years ago and the number is outdated, but I said, how many of you have bought a $5 Starbucks coffee or Starbucks drink in the last, you know, whatever month? And of course, almost all of them have, right? Or some other kind of a drink. I think a big one is, is the uh, energy drinks and those kind of things that people spend <laughs> money on. If you just eliminated 
the even the beverage spending that you spend money on besides water. And you might say, mm-hmm. Brother Tim, we can't drink just water. Well, they do overseas. So if you just eliminate the <laughs> beverage spending and put all that money in missions, wow. I would imagine we'd have more than enough money for every missions project. Now that's, <laughs> that's quite a statement. For those that are listening, think about it. <laughs> and I'll leave people with that thought in, the, in their minds. In the Western world, it's never how much you make, it's how much you spend. It's true. And so may God give us the grace to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit in the burden of missions to be able to get this message out there and clothe the bride of Jesus Christ and make her ready for the rapture. So God bless you, everybody. Thank you for listening. I, I trust that this has been a blessing to you. Until next time, God bless you. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Remember, friends, the bridegroom will not come until the bride has made herself ready. She must be both called and fully dressed by the Word of God. This was another episode of the Believer's Faith Challenge Report podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in more podcasts and more content as it pertains to mission, please go to our website at BibleWay.org. That's BibleWay.org. And subscribe to our newsletter. We will make sure that we send you updates on a weekly basis of the works that the Lord is doing all over the world. Additionally, you can send us an email at info at Bible-Believers.org. That's info at Bible-Believers.org. And once again, we'd like to thank you for your support. This podcast would not be a success without you. Until next time, may God bless you.